Welcome to season two, episode 31 of Grace or Grit. This is a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and debatable issues related to the Bible and the church. I'm your host, Dave Talley. I serve as pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. And joining me today is my co-host, Patrick Reed. Uh, I'm recording from Georgetown, Delaware, in the back of a Ford Focus today. Where are you recording from, Patrick? Uh, we are in Ndungu Kebe, uh, the Gambia, which is West Africa. That's right. So it's, it's uh, 9.14 a.m. here, and that means what? It's 1.14 your time p.m.? That's right. It's uh, the, the heat of the day right now. It keeps getting hotter and hotter here every day. Well, this is really a bonus episode. We had 30 episodes in season one, and so this is uh, episode 31 in season two. So this is really a bonus episode. I talked to uh, some folks about this and said, maybe I should just record these and save them and publish them next year. But uh, I don't think I'm patient enough to do that. And uh, probably our information would become dated, some of it. And that, that can get annoying for people, but I'll give it some thought. Uh, we'll see what happens. Um, today, I would like to entitle this episode, What is the Human Spirit? And uh, I'll tell you where this uh, question came from. Uh, we've had Jason McConnell on the podcast a couple of times. And uh, for, for our listeners, um, Patrick knows Jason well, but uh, Jason is a member of Grace Baptist Church and uh, is um, hoping to be a pastor. He believes he's called the pastor and uh, he's working with our teenagers right now. And so I've been meeting with him weekly and we've been talking about theology and just trying to nail down his position on the, the 10 major uh, themes of theology. And we were discussing anthropology a couple of weeks ago. And uh, be honest with you, both of us ended up leaving the conversation without any conclusions. Um, what is the human spirit? We certainly know that from the book of Genesis that God breathed into the body that he had formed out of, out of dirt uh, he breathed into Adam the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul, the scripture says. And uh, Adam was made in the image of God. And so once God had breathed his spirit into Adam, uh, Adam became an eternal being at that point. That certainly must have something to do with this. As many of you know, this question uh, is supposed to be a hard question, apparently. And this is my interpretation of something Jesus said, um, that the word of God can, can divide. Actually, I'm not sure who said it. You might be able to tell me uh, that the word of God can divide asunder uh, to the joints and marrow. It's a, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It can even separate between soul and spirit, which I've been in church all my life. I've been preaching for over 20 years. I've studied this issue before, and I still have great difficulty trying to explain or understand the difference between the soul and the spirit, if there is a difference. So that's kind of what we're going to address today. In the conversation I had with Jason, I said, clearly, in my opinion anyway, based upon the scriptures, clearly when Adam was created uh, and he fell, the promise was made, you will die. The day that you sin, you will die. Well, his soul did not go to hell the day he sinned, and his body certainly didn't die for nine more centuries. 
So I think we have to conclude that the part of Adam that died that day in fulfillment of God's threat and warning was his spirit. Uh, do you agree with that so far? Uh, yeah, his spirit died. Also, that quote um, came from Hebrews. Hebrews. Um, the word of God is living, active, sharper than a, any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. Right. So the first place I think most of us preachers would go on this issue is to determine, first of all, the people who are in the conversation, are we dichotomist or trichotomist? And I have a cop-out answer, which you've heard before, but it's my sincere answer. I'm both. I'm a dichotomist in that I believe humanity is created with material and immaterial, uh, I guess you say parts. Um, and soul and spirit is immaterial. Um, so that, that seems simple enough. How about that? Well, I agree with that. I don't know if I, I separate the soul and spirit, but we've had that discussion before. <laughs> right, right. So I also say I'm a trichotomist, even though I can't explain the difference in the soul and spirit. I certainly know people who claim they can. Uh, the soul and spirit are listed separately in the scriptures so many times. They don't seem, sometimes they seem to be interchangeable and sometimes they don't seem to be interchangeable. I lean towards the trichotomous view for several reasons. Um, we're made in the image of God. And of course, God is a Trinity. So that at least uh, casts a shadow over my opinion. I don't think that's um, absolutely necessary. Um, I mean, there's other ways you can look at the human race and find some kind of group of three, you know, like uh, parents, you know, father, mother, and child. So there's other ways that it, it could be divided into three, I guess. And I don't even know that that's absolutely necessary. Um, but when we get to soteriology, I'm very strong on the belief that the scripture teaches that I am saved past tense from the penalty of sin. And that would be the salvation of my soul, apparently because the soul that sinneth it shall die. And in some way seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus now. So I assume that is the father's view of me that I'm justified. He sees me as innocent. I am being sanctified, which um, I think is a reference to the salvation of my spirit. Um, and I will be glorified, uh, adopted, which would be the salvation of my body, future tense, I'll be saved from the very presence of sin and possibility of sin someday. But anyway, to get back to my discussion with Jason, I said, Jason, so what is it in us? If my spirit is dead, what does that mean? I have the Holy Ghost in me. If I'm a new creation, if I'm a new creature in Christ, is there now another spirit in me? So do I have a fallen dead spirit? a living spirit and the Holy spirit, you know, now I'm not three, I'm four or five or six, you know, in there. Um, and so that's why we were like, I'm not sure what the answer is to this. Um, what would you have said if you were in that conversation with us? Well, you have, um, you have an old, your old self and your new self, right? We know that, um, from Paul's teachings and, um, but I do think uh, also from that, and I think it's in Ephesians, 
Uh, basically, we're told that, uh, you know, when we accept Christ, when we become believers in Christ, our spirit is made alive. Um, and so our spirit was dead prior to faith in Christ. And after faith in Christ, our spirit has been made alive. Um, so, and because I, I think it's in Ephesians, but then he talks about how um, because your spirit is alive, you, you know, you should be acting in a different way. You shouldn't be acting the way you were acting before. Um, but there does seem to be a degree to which while your spirit may be alive, um, you can still act as though it's dead. Whatever that means exactly, I don't know. But that seems to be the implication. Okay. I don't reject that. Um, initially, it, it seems to make more sense than where Jason and I were going. Um, I guess what, what gets me confused is the Adamic nature and now having partaken of the divine nature and the belief that my old nature is still as deprived as it ever was, that it never improves. So I'm trying to understand in my mind, in what way is my spirit sanctified? Is it just the process of my spirit being made alive? Um, well, I think that the problem I'd have with that, I'm trying to find the verse now that my internet started working again, but um, there is definitely a verse where it says you're, you were, you were dead and now you're alive. Like your spirit was dead and now you're alive. Um, well, for, first Corinthians 15, 22 says, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But I guess that could be a reference to the resurrection of the body, uh, especially in that yeah, context. This one's more specific. Um, and actually, there's a section. I'm just going off the top of my head here, but I know there's also a section that says we've been raised already. Um, seems to be, have to be a reference to um, our spirit being raised. In fact, even that it, it's even now in heaven. Um, right. I got to find that. It might be in, that may be Corinthians. Yeah, so to some I... degree there, there's that, that it's true. It's like a. It doesn't mean we're fully sanctified, right? Um, right. Or that it's complete. <clears throat> and so maybe it's uh, to varying degrees. Maybe that's um, more what he's going along with, you know, the degree of the sanctification, the degree of <laughs> how alive it is. I don't know, but it, I, I know there's a statement that says, you've been made alive. You were dead, but you are now alive. Um, yeah, Colossians 2 Ah, verse, verse 10 says we have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority in him. Also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith and the power, powerful working of God. So we are raised. Uh, we have been raised. Uh as Christ has been raised. So there certainly has to be a sense in which my spirit is no longer dead, but the will must have something to do with this because I can certainly still act as if I'm dead. Yes. Yeah. That, that I think is for sure. Uh, and I think, I think it's in Colossians three, right? If then you have been raised with Christ, right? Seek the things that are above 
right? Because you've already been raised. Yes. Um, and it says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Um, but then he goes on to talk about, therefore, put to death, you know, all the things that are earthly in you. So it's like, as in one sense, it's already true. But in another sense, there's still work to be done. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I think the word flesh has to fit here. We know that the spirit and the, and the body influence each other. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I can do things to my body that affect my spirit. I can do things in my spirit that affect my body. Um, and the flesh is never complemented in the scriptures uh, until after the resurrection. The immortal body that we're given obviously is complemented. It's glorified. Uh, I guess one of the questions that I sent you that I think might help me try to simplify this a little bit in my head is what does it mean for a spirit to be a dead spirit? I know what it means for a body to be a dead body. I believe I even know what it means for a soul to be a dead soul. The second death, you know, is the perishing of the soul in hell continually throughout all eternity or the lake of fire, I guess is the better way to say it. But what is it that makes a spirit dead? I guess in the past, I've assumed that you know, deadness meant no response, no energy, no power, but I, I don't think that's deadness. a good definition. Yeah. I mean, I've always viewed dead being dead as being separated from God. It's a separation. So your spirit prior to salvation is separated from God. And I think that's what we see that happened with Adam, right? When he died, there was a separation between him and God that occurred. You know, God used to walk with him, walk with Adam and Eve in the garden, and that no longer was going to happen. Um, you know, he cast them out of the garden. God no longer walked with them. And I think it, it has to do with a separation from God. Right. So the, the unregenerate person has a spirit that is incapable of communion with God. Right. That seems like a solid statement. And once we're born again, now having, having been given the Holy Ghost, but having been born again, the, the spirit, just like the spirit was breathed into Adam, the spirit has been breathed back into us. You know, Christ speaking to his disciples, uh, he baptized with the Holy Ghost and, and fire. He breathed into them. And then on Pentecost, the spirit came in. Uh, so having his life in us, our spirit is now capable with communion with God if we're willing to submit to the Holy Spirit. Um, Correct. Yeah. So now we, I look at it, I always view it as kind of now we have the, the option where we didn't have the option before, right? We weren't even capable of, of doing what was right before. Um, but now we're capable, but we're also still capable of doing the wrong thing. And that, that's where I think our will comes into play. Right. And if we focus there, I think we're fairly safe. One of the things I thought about doing this podcast is, man, could we make a list of solid um, statements that we wouldn't doubt, you know, and then, then we can make a list of things that we're like, I'm not sure about this stuff. And the labels are interesting to me, but in some ways the, the labels, I'm not going to say they're irrelevant, but if, if we get the function right, we can worry about, the labels later, you know, God knows what, what's what, and, and, uh, he can, he can certainly separate whatever he wants to and label it what he wants to. But 
I have the option of submitting to God and walking in the spirit and communing with God by the Holy Ghost, or I have the option of rejecting his authority and losing fellowship with him. And that's not a complicated concept. Um, how to divide the spirit up from the soul or how to describe what my spirit is at this point is definitely difficult for me, but the function is not difficult. And the function is where we live. Right. And I guess the question is, is if these labels are figuring out between soul spirit and whether there's any other divisions or not, if it was important to me, I think God would have made that quite clear mm. uh, in the Bible for us to even be concerned with. I think so many times we get concerned with things that are of really no importance. I mean, we could sit here and debate about, you know, is the spirit then divided further into multiple things or is your, you know, are you made up of three or five or 10 different parts or whatever it may right. be, but does, but does any of that actually help us um, do what we're supposed to be doing? Right. Does it, mm -hmm. um, you know, by knowing these things, does it, is it just knowledge or does it actually allow it to, change our lives. And so, you know, I think God in his wisdom didn't bother to tell us because he said, well, that isn't going to change how you act. <laughs> right. I'm going to focus on the things that you need to know because you're going to spend your lifetime trying to do that and you're still not going to get there. So, right. It does matter to me in the interpretation of scripture. I think we have to know just enough to be able to separate the passages where it says that which is born of God cannot commit sin. Uh, you're familiar with that passage in uh, the epistles of John. I think it is that which is born of God cannot commit sin. Right. And then the other passage where Paul said in me and my flesh dwells no good thing. He even said in Romans, I'm not the one sinning. It is sin that dwells in me. So in other words, he's saying I have a new identity. Uh, and that's part of the description of spiritual victory that Paul declares in Romans that we all have, if we'll just accept it and live by faith rather than living, you know, by the strength of the flesh. Um, so there is value in the, in the discussion. If it comes to interpreting the scriptures and, um, and showing that there's no conflict in the scriptures, because certainly there are people that reject the scriptures because they say it says, you know, different things in different places. Um, but I agree. He still leaves so much of it as a mystery. Right. I was going to save this for last, but let me just go to it now. First Thessalonians 5.23, Paul said to the believers in Thessalonica, you know, may the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the, com under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I read that and I'm like, well, my soul, as far as I can tell, is already blameless. I'm not sure why he's praying that the soul would be preserved blameless. Certainly the right attitude and the actions of obedience in my mind and my mouth in my, in my body is the spirit and body being preserved blameless. But Paul certainly wasn't teaching what we call um, sinless perfection in this life. Yet this he was praying for complete sanctification. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of the verses, and this is the probably one of the main reasons why I'm not a trichotomist, because when you see verses like this, to me, 
I think uh, writers, uh, particularly many of the biblical writers, they're, they're using a, a feature to say, this is how I'm describing. I want everything in you to be blameless. You know, right. instead of just use, using the word all, I'm going to name a whole bunch of things because we can find other passages where he names four or five or yes. six different things. You're absolutely and so, right. I don't think he's trying to tell us we have six different parts. I think he's trying to say, I'm just trying to name, you know, we could all name all different parts of our body or different things and say, all of these things I want to be, you know, blameless in you. And yeah. so I think to me, when we try to divide something like this and to say, well, right here, it says spirit and soul. Um, maybe there's some sort of distinction, but I don't think there's anywhere in the Bible that clearly tells us, well, the soul is this aspect and the spirit is this aspect. And they're distinctly different. Um, from what I see many times they're used interchangeably. Um, and so when you have, I think when you've got a list of things, many times uh, the writer's just trying to emphasize everything, you know, that I'm talking about all parts of you, not leaving anything out. You know, it's a, a literary feature that is, you know, trying to emphasize the point of what I'm trying to get across here. And I, to me, I think too many times we take things like this and we try to say, well, we need to figure out what each one of these things are. And uh, to me, if we need to figure out what each one of these things are, then why didn't he just explain it? You know, because that right. wasn't the point he was trying to make, you know, right. or to me, we're missing the main point, which is that, uh, you know, I pray that you would be sanctified completely. And, but right. it, that is an interesting prayer considering other verses where he says you, it, it will be brought to completion, right? It's going to happen. There's really no chance if you're saved that it's not going to happen. So, I wonder if maybe here he's praying, you know, almost that I pray that you're actually saved. I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure based on the, what we understand about, you know, the, I mean, I, I believe in eternal security and that I believe that you're going to, all of us that are saved are going to be fully sanctified. So why would you, why would you pray about something that is already going to happen for certain? I don't know. Right. Right. Well, certainly he is saying um, it is his desire that they serve the Lord with all they have and all they are, which is what you just said, until the coming of Christ. So when Christ comes, he's looking for faith on the earth, and uh, he wants the, Thess the Thessalonians to hold nothing back, to yield every bit of their being to God. I wonder if he was writing this today, if he would even use these words. I wonder if he would say, you know, your mind and your emotions and your, you know, your, your will, if he would use heart, if he would just say your life, you know, give all of your life to God, uh, because these words have certainly evolved in the English language to sometimes mean right the opposite of what they, you know, seem to mean in Hebrew and Greek. Um, I, I disagree with your statement that they're interchangeable. Sometimes they, they seem to be interchangeable. Certainly the soul is a spiritual substance, but I still agree. We don't, we don't want to get stuck on arguing about words, which the scripture warns us against. It doesn't do, do anybody any good if we're arguing about the use of words and losing the substance of, of the message itself. And it is God's will that we be sanctified. But, you know, your question kind of gets into a different issue, and that is the nature of prophecy and the, and the nature of prayer. Because you got, for example, Daniel reading about the, re the restoration of the Jews after 70 years. I think he was reading Jeremiah. 
And he began to pray for that. You know, we would say, well, it's going to happen whether you pray for it or not. But that's true when we pray thy kingdom come, his kingdom's coming. <laughs> when you pray for it or not, it's coming. <laughs> but you're that's still true. supposed and, to pray for it. Yeah, that's true. Well, we are always supposed to pray in agreement with God. And so yeah. um, really everything we pray should all come to pass, right? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> if we're praying in the spirit. Um, so that's another way to look at it. now. But I would ask you this, since we're talking about the spirit, then what verses would you say clearly, distinctly describe the soul being something different than the spirit? Besides when it's in a list, um, where would you say the soul is differentiated from the spirit? That is a good question, because uh, I was looking at it upside down, saying I can't think of a place where they're used interchangeably, but I can't give you the negative. I mean, I can't give you the positive. So I was arguing from an absence, <laughs> which is not a good way to argue. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess my thing is, I, I mean, I don't know. I haven't said, I'm not going to say I've studied this in any uh, great length, uh, maybe in comparison to other doctrines, but um, I haven't come across somewhere where I looked at it and said, oh, well, clearly he describes the spirit like this, and the soul is described as something completely different. Um, right. And I haven't been able to find that in the scriptures anywhere. And so, you know, to me, you would have to, if you, if you for me to be convinced there's three parts, there's got to be a clear distinction somewhere in the scriptures that says, well, here they are, they're separate. Um, if we don't divide those things up into four or five parts, why are we even dividing them into three parts, you know? Um, right. Because we don't consider the heart a separate thing. We don't consider the mind a separate thing. Um, physically speaking, we know they are, but, you know, um, as far as um, actual, you know, separate parts, we consider the body, you know, is the body and then the mind and the heart make up the body as well. We, while they're different parts of the body, they still make up the whole thing. And so right. who's to say that, okay, maybe soul is something a little bit different, but it's part of the spirit um, or vice versa. Right. Maybe the other way. I don't know. I'm not sure there's any scripture that, that teaches us that. Yeah. I have seen an explanation of the passage that says, love the Lord, your God with all your heart. Uh, what is it? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Is that the four that's listed? I think it depends on which passage. You're heart, reading. soul, mind. I think, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a description uh, that made sense, but definitely in that passage, there seems to be, uh, you know, four different things that are, that are listed. I, I believe my father describes the soul as our life and the spirit as our mind. Um, he's very convincing when I listen to him, um, but, <laughs> but, I, but, I, but I, again, I don't retain I it. Yeah. And I mean, I would just be interested to know, you know, what scripture indicates that, you know, that tells us that, because I I've, I'm not saying your father's wrong. I have no idea. I'm just saying, I've heard lots of people come up with things that sound really good, but there's not really any clear scripture to back it up, uh, at least in my, my estimation. Well, I know he always quotes the, I think it's Colossians where it says you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Um, he always quotes that yeah, passage in this conversation. That, yeah. yeah. 
Um, but the thing that, that I think confuses me on that, and I'm probably the worst person in the world to host this podcast on this topic. Um, but the thing that confuses me on that is, you know, you got places in the scripture where these descriptions are judicial. So I died with Christ, but that seems to be a judicial declaration that God counts me as having died with Christ. It doesn't mean right. that my soul was actually on the cross. I mean, it was, it was, it was the anguish of his soul that the father saw and was satisfied. Um, so sometimes I think we take the judicial descriptions, especially that Paul makes, and we try to apply them materially. And that can be very confusing <laughs> for sure. Uh, and I just heard of a Christian yesterday who, who had this issue. Uh, the question was asked, when, when the father looks at me, what does he see? That was the question that was asked. It was in a Bible study. Right. And the answer, the answer was offered, he sees somebody that needs a lot of work. Or he, counts, or he sees you as being righteous. Yes. Well, that was my answer. I said, he sees <laughs> Christ. Now, when the spirit sees me, when the son sees me, they see me as I really am. But when the father sees me, he sees the perfection of Christ. But that's judicial. It's not like I think the Father doesn't know when I do something wrong. <laughs> right. I mean, that's absurd. So he is counting. I think the word impute is important here. He doesn't impute yeah. my sin to me. He has imputed that sin to his son right. in, in the death on the cross. So we, de we definitely got to make sure we don't apply the judicial declarations of God a practical fact, a material fact until they become a material fact, because that actually matters. I mean, Abraham had saving faith and yet he was not given access to God until after the crucifixion. So, you know, Christ was slain from the foundation of the world judicially, you know, in the mind of God, it was as good as done, but it wasn't done until it was done. Um, and my, my flesh and my, my spirit, are not fully sanctified until they are. They can certainly be sanctified in a, in a moment by God's grace as the blood is applied. That's 1 John 1, 9. You know, as I'm sitting here talking to you and trying to understand the scriptures, I don't believe there's anything between me and God in this moment. Uh, but when we get done with the podcast and I move on to something else, you know, temptations will come my way <laughs> and I can my fellowship can certainly be broken. Um, so I believe there are, there are times when my spirit is fully sanctified in the moment, but the ultimate pro process of the sanctification, sanctification of my spirit is just not done until I see him face to face, which is what the scripture teaches, right? When we see him, we'll be like him, but not right. until then. Yep. That is definitely from my estimation, a, a doctrinal truth. So where does this leave us? You haven't answered my question. <laughs> <laughs> what did you solve again? my problems <laughs> the original question is what is the human spirit and i don't What's know the, the well well this is the way i would answer it generally speaking although if you ask me to pin it down further than this i <laughs> i won't be able to uh but it's the immaterial part of our being that's the way I would define our spirit. You know, you have the physical part and the immaterial yeah. part and the spirit makes up our immaterial part. Yeah. Um, it's the part that, um, you know, when 
uh, God said he made us in our image. I think that's the spirit is what is being referred to there. You know, our ability to think and um, be creative and even be conscious that we're alive. I mean, all those sorts of things, um, the ability to reason, all that sort of stuff is the immaterial um, side of us. That's good. That's straightforward. I like that. What is the human spirit? It is the eternal immaterial part of me. And even, by the way, even at the resurrection, it, the Bible says that we are raised a spiritual body. Um, so, you know, flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of God, Scripture says. Um, so yep, even, we'll get a new body, whatever that is. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Something better than this one. Yeah. Well, I don't think I'm ever going to figure this out. Believe it or not, I've had this conversation probably 20 times in my life, and I always kind of end up in the same place. Um, maybe I'm trying to defend something that's not defensible. Maybe that's why I end up in the same place over and over again. Um, but in any case, body, soul, spirit, mind, Christ is the, uh, is the only hope for any aspect of me or of any man. And, uh, and that's what I preach constantly. God can do his work to get people where they need to be. Well, how about this verse? We can close with this one. You know, Jesus said to the woman at the well, they that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. So yeah. what would it mean to worship in spirit? Well, if the spirit is our immaterial side, I mean, to me, I would think, uh, so he's separating, you know, our physical body from you know our immaterial part and i think it's i mean generally i've taken that statement as though it means that we're to worship god in agreement uh, with his spirit so that our spirit is in agreement with his spirit obviously his spirit is always going to lead us to the truth right um and so uh worshiping in spirit the, the question is i've always had about that verse is which spirit is he referring to? The Holy Spirit or our spirit? Is that what you mean? Right. Right. Yeah. And it, I don't know could, if I know the, if I figured out the answer to it yet. But. Well, it could be simpler than that. And I'm, I'm really taking a page out of your book. Uh, that's a legitimate question. But what he was dealing with was location, right? The Samaritans said, hey, we're supposed to worship over here. The Jews says we're supposed to worship over there. And mm -hmm. Jesus is saying, you're focusing on the exterior, you're focusing on the material and the motions, and that's not what matters. Um, it is worship and invisible. worship and the immaterial, right? Yeah. Yes. From the inside, God looks at your heart. Of course, we've introduced another word at that point, but um, if he sees the sincerity of your heart and it's attached to the truth, because he says you must worship and, in spirit and in truth. So if, if we have the sincerity of our heart guided by the truth, then our worship is accepted, regardless of whether the exterior is doing anything or not. Certainly, there's nothing wrong with exterior worship if it's accompanied, or if it, I shouldn't say if it's accompanied by the right thing on the inside, but if it flows forth from the right thing on the inside. 
I don't want to fall into the category of saying, you know, our bodies don't matter because our bodies are temp temples of the Holy Spirit. And we're supposed to glorify God in our, in our body and in our spirit because they both belong to God. That's scriptural too. Sounds good to me. Maybe this will be the episode that'll finally bring our list listeners out of the woodwork and they can put us in our place. <laughs> That's right. They could, they could be like, you got all this wrong. <laughs> yeah. All you experts out there, all you theologians and scholars, uh, you need to set us straight. Uh, send it, send us your description of the, uh, of the human spirit. What is the human spirit and make sure you back it up with scripture. So, so you can set me straight. Well, you got anything to add? Any uh, specific ways that our listeners can pray for you as you're serving the Lord over there in Africa? Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, we're, um, we're obviously in the middle of language study and it is very, very difficult. Uh, not that I was expecting it to be easy, um, but it's been quite a challenge uh, trying to you know, there's, there's so many things we want to be able to say and trying to stay focused on just learning what I'm supposed to be learning for the week. And, you know, when we talk to people, they try to teach us other things and, you know, it's, it's very hard to stay focused and just learn one thing without having, you know, 10,000 things, ways to say things and different things to say and learning vocabulary and people pointing to different animals and telling you what every single animal is called. And, you know, you can't possibly remember all those things all at one time. So, right. <laughs> um, it's also been a challenge because, um, the way this method works, we're supposed to walk around and talk to as many people as possible to practice the specific thing we're learning that day. And that's not always the easiest thing because, you know, people want you to sit down and, especially people who talk English, they'd like to get to know you better because they can speak English. And uh, so just being able to, to do that um, is a challenge to balance between learning language and also building relationships with people. Right. Um, is uh, hard to figure out sometimes. Yeah. So definitely be in prayer for those things. And um, for our children, as they continue to try to adjust, um, it's been a very, very slow process. Uh, it's, there's lots of reasons why it's hard for them to, to get out and talk to people. Um, the way the culture is here is, um, and the way children are here can make it very difficult for them, um, to even go out into public. So yeah. uh, particularly here in this village. All um, right. So definitely be in prayer for them as well. Sure. And I see they're uh, having to get used to living with bugs and lizards. So that's interesting. Oh, we always have visitors every day, but it's, it's better than snakes and scorpions. So yeah. pray that they, they stay away. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking, make sure you learn the, uh, the wolf name for, for uh, adder and, uh, you know, cobra. and all those. <laughs> those are words. Yeah, you really black, want to make sure you know. black, black mamba. Black, black mamba. Yeah. We have all of those here. So. The rainy season is almost ended. Um, by the end of this month, it'll, by the end of October, it'll be over for certain. Uh, really, October is the hottest part of the year because the rains stop, and but the humidity doesn't go away until it really starts going away sometime in November. And um, so it, it really gets hot because the rain's not here to cool it down and you have all the humidity still. So next few weeks, will definitely be challenging just on a physical side as well. Yeah. 
Yeah. All right, man. Well, we'll keep praying for you. I hope you don't feel like I wasted your time today. Don't tell me if, if, uh, if you feel that way, I don't <laughs> think I could handle it, but, uh, appreciate you spending some time with me today. If nothing else, I got another lesson in humility. Certainly we pray for God's blessings on you for the Patrick and your family and your ministry continually to our listeners out there, no matter what platform you are listening on today, as you're listening to this podcast, be sure to let others know about the podcast and listen to other episodes, like, share, subscribe, comment, review, etc. And I certainly pray for God's blessings on you all and hope, hope that you will listen again next time. Until then, God bless.